listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, recorded at the studios of Maine Magazine in Portland, Maine. Show summaries are available at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belial through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details. Here are some highlights from this week's program. The Maine Medical Association is what the members and those who choose to serve in the leadership and are on the committees, what they choose to make it. And if you want it to be something different than it, you think it is, then you get involved and then you get to make those decisions. The pharmacy industry has largely allowed itself to become a commoditized industry. And so we ran an ad when we first opened our business that said, at what point did pharmacies go from being convenient to stores that had pharmacies? The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley's... Arnie, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. This is Dr. Lisa Belial, and you are listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast. Show number 56, The Future of Medicine, airing for the first time on October 7th, 2012 on WLOB and WPEI Radio, Portland, Maine. Also available streaming on WLOBradio.com. On today's show, we feature Maine Medical Association Executive Vice President Gordon Smith, as well as founder of Apothecary by Design, Catherine Cloudman. The future of medicine is something that we on the Dr. Lisa Radio RM podcast are working toward every week. It's something that I feel very strongly um, is important. I graduated from medical school in 96 and family medicine residency in 1999 and went on to get a master's in public health and a preventive medicine fellowship. These were all my traditional medical training. I was doing the same sorts of training that most doctors go through in the United States. By 2006, I knew that I needed something more. I needed to go outside the bounds of traditional Western medicine and see what else I could offer my patients. This is when I went back and I learned traditional Chinese medicine and acupuncture. And I believe very strongly in the idea that this is how we need to heal our medical system. We need to be reaching back into the past, looking at healing systems that have been helping patients for thousands and thousands of years, and marrying this with moving forward medical informatics, evidence-based medicine, computers, knowledge, research. These are all things that we need to be taking into consideration as we look forward. I think this is an exciting time to be a physician. It's an exciting time for me to be practicing medicine. In my own practice, I am able to create a very personalized approach for patients. I integrate acupuncture, nutrition counseling, dietary recommendations, behavior and pattern change with all the latest medical knowledge. I'm able to connect with providers in the community who are doing more high-tech procedures, people who are engaging in modalities that require quite a lot of um, futuristic thinking. And I think I'm offering the type of care that most doctors want to be offering their patients as they move forward in medicine today. 
On today's show, we have two individuals who have been working in the area of medicine for many years. And although they're not doctors, they do know a lot about medicine and about health and healing. Gordon Smith is the executive vice president of the Maine Medical Association and has been affiliated with that organization for decades now. He's seen the many changes that physicians within the state and patients in the state have undergone. And he knows that there are ways that we can help things move forward in a very positive way. Catherine Cloudman is the founder of Apothecary by Design here in Portland. Apothecary by Design really believes in the importance of offering patients high-quality medication and education, and at the same time, reaching back into the past and offering them a very caring attitude towards health and healing. We believe that Gordon and Catherine are both two very good examples of how we can move forward into the future of medicine. Thank you for joining us. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is pleased to be sponsored by the University of New England. As part of our collaboration, we offer a segment we call Wellness Innovations. This week's Wellness Innovation is the University of New England's Interprofessional Education Collaborative, or IPEC. IPEC is an intercollegiate initiative designed to support and enhance the education of practitioners, scholars, and researchers across health professions. Their mission is to educate these individuals to work together and with patients and clients for relationship-centered healthcare that is comprehensive, collaborative, caring, safe, and continuous throughout the life cycle. This is UNE's contribution to the future of integrated medicine. By exposing learning professionals to a team-based training earlier on in their career, future communication and client-based care will become more instinctive. For more information on this wellness innovation, visit doctorlisa.org. For more information on UNE, visit une.edu. This portion of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast has been brought to you by the University of New England, UNE, an innovative health sciences university grounded in the liberal arts. UNE is the number one educator of health professionals in Maine. Learn more about the University of New England at une.edu. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour is committed to the notion that we're in a significant time of really healthy transition in the medical world. And we like to talk to people who have been in the medical world for a while, who can tell us what the history has been like and what things are looking like moving forward. So we thought it was appropriate to have Gordon Smith, who is the executive vice president of the Maine Medical Association, come in and talk to us today. Thanks for coming in, Gordon. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Now, Gordon, you and I have known each other for a while because when I was getting my master, uh, master's degree in public health after my residency program, I came up and I observed what you were doing with the legislature. And I know that that's part of what you do, but there's just so many things that the Maine Medical Association does. Why don't you tell us about them? Well, I think that people probably have a misconception about what the Maine Medical Association is today. I mean, it was established in 1853 by uh, 15 or so physicians who met in Brunswick at the Tontine Hotel on uh, in April 28th, and uh, and we just held our 159th annual meeting. So it has a rich tradition of uh, representing physicians, but also protecting public health and, and speaking on behalf of, of patients. But there has obviously, I don't know of any association today that uh, 160 years after its founding is 
operating under the same mission and governance principles today that it did when it started. Um, there's been a lot of tremendous change in the healthcare community. It really did start uh, with the issue, and it was one of the 50 state organizations that make up the American Medical Association, which is still vilified for opposing Medicare and Medicaid in 1965, but they forget that now the AMA supported the Affordable Care Act, or Obamacare to some. And so there's been uh, organized medicine, as it's sometimes referenced, is a much more diversified uh, group than it used to be. And it has to be because half of our members are, are going to be uh, female. Uh, the vast majority of our members are going to be employed. They're not independent in independent practice anymore, and that's changed a lot of things, although there'll still be some who choose that route. So it's been a wonderful organization over time. We have about a dozen employees, and we have three lobbyists and attorneys. I'm one of them, and we do go to the State House every day. The, the legislature's there, and we uh, were involved in the last two years in 300 pieces of legislation. Many of which involve public health, and I think that your listeners would be impressed with everything from from eradicating BPA from children's toys to protecting our healthy main partnerships, he, protecting physical education in schools, uh, prohibiting cyberbullying, um, a lot of those things. Uh, the association is very proud of its track record on. In November, I understand you're having a program with Ed Miller uh, of the American Lung Association of Maine. Ed and I have been involved in virtually every tobacco control issue in Maine since about 1979. And we started, along with a wonderful physician by the name of Bill Nassessian, the Maine Coalition on Smoking or Health, that's now been merged into the, the Maine Public Health Association. But we were galvanized when, at that time, Governor Brennan vetoed a bill to prohibit smoking in a jury room. If you can imagine today, we've been so successful, probably 25 pieces of legislation that have protected clean air in Maine, particularly indoor air, and now we're active in, in, in trying to... Uh, protect public parks and beaches. and um, But at that time, imagine that, there that a governor would veto a bill that suggested that if you were asked by the government to serve in a little jury room for hours at a time, that people could fill that room with smoke. Um, so uh, there's a lot of, of wonderful history of public health activities in Maine. Many of those things are now challenged under the new uh, political dynamic that we have. And so we've been b busy as ever, uh, unfortunately, defending some of the gains that we'd already made. Uh, and it's been difficult in this environment to, to, be more, uh, to be proactive because we've had to react to so many things that we thought had been settled years ago, like the value of vaccination. Well, it is interesting to me because as we're talking, I'm remembering what as a young, recently finished um, family medicine resident and family doctor, I was listening to, I was listening to legislation that was about smoking in, I believe, in bars and restaurants. And, and now people who are young, 
um, not that I'm not young, but let's say 20-year-olds, to, to them, they, it's unfathomable that you would go into a bar or a restaurant and there would be cigarette smoke in Maine and, in fact, in a big chunk of the country. But that was not that long ago. No, it wasn't. And but But it's been one of our great successes. And fewer, and partly because of that, fewer teenagers are smoking, more than should, but nonetheless. And, and it's all about if you, if you can't smoke in a restaurant, you can't smoke in a workplace, you can't smoke at a public place, you begin to get the idea, maybe this is really bad, <laughs> and uh, if, we, if the only place we can smoke is outside. It was a very big moment when, through the Bangor City Council, passed the ordinance that you couldn't smoke in an automobile with a young child. That was huge, and that led to similar legislation on the state level. And uh, it's that kind of thing that, because it's about protecting uh, us from secondhand smoke. I mean, people have a right to do what they're going to do, but not if it affects other people. Your background isn't in medicine, though. Your background, as I think you said, was as a lawyer. There are other lawyers on staff with you. Why is it necessary for lawyers to get involved in health? Well, that's a good question. You wonder how the, how the rank and file members of the Maine Medical Association feel about the Maine Medical Association now having three lawyers. Um, it's just a sign of the times. I mean, there are some doctors that run medical societies across the country. Um, but running an association today requires a skill set that's different than most physicians have. Uh, I did get into this field, absolutely, because of my interest in advocacy. That got me, and in politics, that got me involved in law, and then law got me involved in associations. And uh, it just so happened um, when I was practicing privately with a law firm that we had a lot of association clients and we lobbied a lot because we were in Augusta and we were the biggest law firm in Augusta at that time. There were six of us. and. Um, I just love the association work. So I left uh, after a few years to just do the Realtors Association, which is a wonderful association, and the Medical Association. And I, one day a week I'd work at the Realtor office and four days a week at the Medical Association so you could see what direction this was moving in. And then eventually things, you know, became difficult to do both. But healthcare today is enormously complicated. I, I feel every day that, that our other two lawyers were very, very capable and myself, we have all we can do to keep up on the federal and state act activities. And we have 3,500, 3,700, you know, medical students, residents, and doctors to help us do that. Well, tell me what types of things on a day-to-day -day basis you deal with when it comes to residents, medical students, and doctors. What, what are you actually offering for the individual physician? Well. We offer different things at, di at different cohorts in a, in a doctor's life. We might, uh, for the medical students, we, we help them learn about organized medicine and what they may be facing when they get out. With the residents, we help them with their first contracts of employment. With the older physicians, we help them retire. Uh, so depending upon where you are in your career, the medical association might have a lot of different things to offer. We've had to change the menu of services a great, great deal to accommodate doctors who are employed at the same, uh, because when you're employed, you're not paying your own malpractice premium, so you're probably not that all that 
you may not be interested in quote tort reform. You, um, you, if you're practicing in a big system like Maine Health or, or Eastern Maine Healthcare, then you're getting a lot of services available from those folks, and you may not even relate to the Maine Medical Association at all until you have a problem. That problem could come at the Board of Medicine. It could come in a malpractice case, it could come as an issue with your employer. And so we've been able to maintain an infrastructure to help physicians with whatever that problem is. We also provide a lot of service at the level of the employer. We have a very, very successful peer review program where we'll send out, let's say if there's a solo practicing urologist in a small community in Maine, we'll send three board certified urologists out to that practice once a year, once every two years, and do a complete analysis working with that doctor in a confidential peer review for educational purposes because that, that's just essential today. And so that program has grown exponentially over the last 25 years. So we do a lot of quality improvement work, safe, you know, uh, patient safety work. We do a lot of consumer patient engagement. We're very big supporters of Quality Counts. I just got done two years as the board chair of the organization and is doing wonderful things as we try to transform the healthcare system to a more patient-centered system. And we had Lisa Letourneau and Dr. Lisa Letourneau and my sister, Dr. Amy Belial from Quality Counts on just recently on the show. And they, they, that whole staff, now Quality Counts has almost 10 employees. They're almost as big as our, as, as the Maine Medical Association. And that's, that's causing its own unique issues because they're co-located with us in our building. And uh, we're probably going to be able to, to help them find other space here in the next few months. But I'm so proud of what they're doing in transforming the practices of primary care. Um, it's, I think people would be impressed to know that we're not out there defending existing medical care every day. We are out there trying to make it better, trying to increase patient safety. We know there's a lot of problems, and we know that if patients can get more engaged in their own care, this was a featured presentation at our annual meeting at Quality Counts last week with this e-patient, Dave DeBruncon. He was incredible, an MIT graduate who had metastatic stage four cancer, who engaged himself into online communities with other cancer patients, found incredibly valuable information on the internet, in, um, internet, working with his physician. So he can give that talk about how important it is for patients to be engaged in their, their, as partners. And it's about patients now. The old system really was designed around physicians. It really wasn't designed around patients. That situation, that is now being transformed. And I, I think it's a hard change for people, particularly the transition to electronic medical records has been way more difficult than anybody can imagine because it completely transforms the way that you practice. I'm 61 years old. I, if I was a physician, I would probably retire before I do it. I mean, because I've seen the pain of, of doctors feeling so good about working with patients and how many patients they could see. And, and, and then all of a sudden now they've got this thing between them and the patient. And it, it is really painful. It's not 
nearly as painful if you've grown up like my adult daughters have with the internet with technology with handheld devices they think it's the you know if that's all you know then you you easily can adjust to it but for people like my age who grew up before all of that it's really been painful we know we have to go there at least most people believe that we have to go to a, a, an electronic system. I mean, p because the, the new generation of patients are not going to stand for the fact that anywhere in this world you can go and put your card, a plastic card, into a machine and get money in that denomination in that country and get your bank balance instantaneously within seconds. And yet how many of us personally have tried to get a medical record or a page of a medical record to take to a specialist or to take care of our sick child, and it took weeks. Um, you know, I, I recently had a, a situation in my own family where a medical, where a lab test was sent to the wrong doctor in a different state just because the doctor had, the only commonality was this doctor had the same last name as the doctor that my family member was seeing. It just, and so in this case, I don't think she'd mind me saying it, you know, my wife gets this call from a, a doctor from, from Mass General saying, we have this lab test, Mrs. Smith, and it's, it's not, you're not a patient here. Where is this supposed to go? So, I mean, three states away. I mean, how does that happen in Maine in 2012? We have to do better. We'll return to our program after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. The Body Architect was founded on the belief that mindful exercise improves the health of the mind, body, and spirit. Housed in an open, light-filled space in Portland, Maine, the Body Architect offers a cutting-edge fitness center, expert personal trainers, nutrition counseling, and a full class schedule. Visit thebodyarchitect.com or call 207-774-2196 and get started with The Body Architect today. As you know, the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and podcast is focused on the mind, body, and soul. Sometimes our bodies are giving us a little indication that maybe things aren't quite right. Here to talk to us about some particular things that we can listen to when our bodies are acting up is Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists in Falmouth, Maine. Today's diagnosis is plantar fasciitis. Dr. John? Plantar fasciitis is extremely common and it's really heel pain. It especially hurts the first thing in the morning and continues to bother you throughout the day. In our office, we utilize ultrasound to see exactly where it's torn and we can put in PRP or cortisone, or in the future, stem cells, to cure it. To find more information on this, please go to orthocareme.com or call us at 781-9077. We'll return to our interview after acknowledging the following generous sponsors. Robin Hodgkin, Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney in Portland, Maine. For all your investment needs, call Robin Hodgkin at 207-771-0888 
Investments and services are offered through Morgan Stanley, Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. And by Booth, accounting and business management services, payroll and bookkeeping. Business is done better with Booth. Go to boothmain.com for more information. As part of what your function is as the executive vice president of the Maine Medical Association, um, is to be sort of a, is to have a historical memory so -hmm. that people don't keep repeating the same mistakes Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. have been made in the past. Yeah, it's true. And, And to also listen to the members and see what they're interested in today. A lot of my colleagues around the country haven't adjusted well to the notion of employment, for instance, um, and how that changes the types of issues that we might work on. 30 years ago, it was all about tort reform and scope of practice. Uh, But that's when doctors practiced individually, they paid their own premium, and and, and the mal- all malpractice companies left the state in the 1970s. People were bare. There was a crisis. Well, now we have the lowest, the, the second lowest premiums in New England after Vermont. We are, we are in the ten, uh, in the, the quarter, the, the lowest of the 10 states in the country. We have a great system of pre-litigation screening panels. When we poll our members about what, what is bothering you about medicine today? What should the Maine Medical Association be working on? Tory form isn't there except in, if you ask OBGYN, which will always be a high-risk specialty, and neurosurgeons. Our member, our average member today is, is going to be a 40-year-old female pediatrician practicing maybe three days a week who, who is likely to be as interested in BPA and children's toys as she is scope of practice and Tory form. Also, the doctors today don't agree on anything. It used to be you had these unifying issues. Well, if you take scope of practice, many of the doctors want to expand the scope of practice of mid-level practitioners because it will help them provide care. Um, Still, you have a a more traditional group of doctors that think, you want to practice medicine, you go to medical school like I do and and, and like I did and you complete a residency, that there's no substitute for that. Um, so it's more difficult to find those unifying principles. Our view at the Maine Medical Association is it's a big tent, and we want to represent physicians in their training, whether they're in primary care, whether they're in specialty care, and we, we want to provide a menu of services and products that are appropriate and, and that they need. And uh, that has obviously changed a great deal in the 30-year transformation that we've talked about from solo individual practice to people practicing, many of them employed in a large system of care. Well, I appreciate your spending the time with us to talk about the future of medicine and in some part the past that you've um, seen yourself with medicine in the state of Maine. It strikes me that you are... um, you're heading up what has to be a very flexible and open organization, which is different, I think, than many people associate with the notion of medical associations. Well, let me say this. I, I think that we'd better be, uh, you know, open-minded about how we face issues. And, you know, a, a good representation of where we are today, our new president, Dita Crackle up in Rumford, is about my age. The chair of our board 
is Lisa Ryan. She's an osteopathic physician. She's the first osteopathic physician, certainly, who's chaired our board. She's what I would call a relatively young uh, pediatrician. Um, the chair of our legislative committee is going to be a young lady, Amy Madden, who's maybe three years out of her uh, residency training. And um, we are going to have people from age 30 to age 80 involved in this organization. And when people say, oh, it's too liberal, it's too conservative, you're too Republican, you're too Democrat, I say, look, the main medical association is what the members and those who choose to serve in the leadership and are on the committees, what they choose to make it. And if you want it to be something different than it, you think it is, then you get involved, and then you get to make those decisions. It also strikes me that when we talk about the Maine Medical Association, that more and more what's happening is that you're representing patient interests as well as physician and um, healthcare provider interests. So I think this is an important thing for people who are listening to the show today to realize that you really are advocating on a number of different levels. Our mission is to advocate for physicians and their patients and to protect public health. Uh, those are three different prongs that we put resources into each one. And, um, and again, I'm so proud when we ask our physicians. Now through SurveyMonkey, we can ask our members things every week. And, and so we continually try to listen to what is it that you're interested in. And the last really substantial polling that we did, their interest was in getting their patients coverage. That was the thing that, that most, that they responded was most bothersome in their practice was seeing people with poor insurance coverage or uh, public or private, or no coverage. And uh, that's not self-serving. That's uh, impressive. Gordon, how can people find out about the Maine Medical Association? We have a wonderful website at mainemed.com, M-A-I-N-E-M-E-D.com. It's about to be, uh, supposed to have a new website, but it will have the same internet address. And we've got sections there for patients, for providers, for uh We've, we've completely revised it to make it more modern and to make it cleaner. Our consultants, of course, told us you've got way too much content, you know, thousands of pages of things. And so we've tried to clean it up and tried to improve the indexing. Even I would go in there and couldn't find what I was looking for. So we're excited about that. That will probably be unveiled in, in the next 30 days. So the best way to learn about us is to to uh, go to the website or just call me up in our little office in Manchester, Maine. Uh, we're listed right under the Maine Medical Association. Well, we've been speaking with Gordon Smith, who is the executive vice president for the Maine Medical Association and a um, longtime friend of my family, my family of doctors. So thank you for all that you are doing for the physicians and other healthcare providers within the state of Maine and also for what you've done for the healthcare providers within my family. Well, and thank you for, for your emphasis on wellness and, and complementary medicine. I think today, um, it's not a matter we got to explore during the interview, but uh, doctors are far more willing now to acknowledge they don't know everything, they can't help every patient, and they're much more willing to uh, work in partnership with not only the patient, but with people working outside of what we would consider traditional medicine, and that's going to be uh, important in the future. A chronic ache, sleepless nights, 
a feeling of something being not quite right. You can treat the symptoms with traditional medications and feel better for a little while and continue on with your busy days. But have you ever stopped to consider the what that's at the core of a health issue? Most times it goes much deeper than you think, and when you don't treat the root cause, the aches, sleeplessness, and that not quite right feeling come back. But they don't have to. You can take a step towards a healthier, more centered life. Schedule an appointment with Dr. Lisa Belial and discover how a practice that combines traditional medicine with Eastern healing practices can put you on the right path to better living. For more information, please call The Body Architect in Portland at 207-774-2196 or visit doctorlisa.org today. Healthy living is a journey. Take the first step. This segment of the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is brought to you by the following generous sponsors. Mike LePage and Beth Franklin of Remax Heritage in Yarmouth, Maine. Honesty and integrity can take you home. With Remax Heritage, it's your move. Learn more at rheritage.com. Here on the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, we've long recognized the link between health and wealth. Here to speak more on the topic is Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial. In life, we know that at certain times, natural forces cause our body to grow and develop in very predictable ways. We can fight this process, accept it, or leverage it to reach our God-given potential. Understanding our DNA has helped experts identify ways that we can live fuller, more intentional lives that work with nature to ensure a more harmonious life. Wealth experts are increasingly discovering that discipline is easier when it aligns with the natural forces motivating us to make the money decisions we do. Distortions of wealth make our lives, our economy, and the world a scary and unsustainable place. To learn more about the stages of money, go to shepherdfinancialmain.com. Evolve with your money. On the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour, we like to bring in guests who are thinking about things in um, new and different ways. And one of our recent sponsors just came on is um, was founded by somebody who we know is thinking about things in very new and different ways. Her name is Catherine Cloudman. She's the co-founder of Apothecary by Design, which we're so appreciative of the sponsorship of our program. But I'm also really appreciative of having the time to spend with you over um, several meetings because you're doing very interesting things here in the state of Maine. So thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Let me start with what is Apothecary by Design and where is it located, sort of the standard information? Sure. Um, well, we're located at 84 Marginal Way in the Intermed Building. Um, we're part of that ba- the Bayside neighborhood, uh, which is sort of an up-and-coming neighborhood in Portland. Um, we are an integrated pharmacy. And when I say an integrated pharmacy, what I mean is that we have um, solutions that are integrated across pharmacy, uh, where we've got compounding, where we make prescriptions from the raw ingredients. We have a specialty pharmacy where we work with patients who have chronic complex diseases. We have a regular retail pharmacy where we can help patients with their everyday medications. And we have a nutritional health and well-being department where we uh, talk to folks about 
alternative uh, remedies to certain conditions and where supplementation might be appropriate to help manage side effects or nutrient depletions caused by any traditional medications that they are on. And we can clinically support that um, with our pharmacists and nurses and uh, patient coordinators who have some background in that area. You yourself came from a very different background, not necessarily healthcare related. Tell me about that. That's true. I uh, have a business background, and most of my work is uh, at Apothecary by Design is centered around helping to manage the business side. But I started a consulting firm a number of years ago called CloudHawk Management Consultants and worked with closely held and family-owned businesses throughout New England on business valuation, strategic planning, succession planning, and uh, helped those businesses pass from one generation to the next, which was a, a fun thing to be a part of. And in my travels uh, as a consultant, I came across a couple of folks who were the founders of Portland Professional Pharmacy, which was a client of mine for a number of years. And back in early 2000s, I helped them sell their business to a publicly traded company. But I got to know their business really well uh, as we worked on some of their strategic planning initiatives and really loved their business model and what they were trying to do and uh, decided that that would something, be something I'd love to be a part of at some point. And I'd spent a lot of time kind of helping businesses create value and grow their own businesses. And I just thought at some point along the way, that was something I wanted to do as well. Why is it important to you to be involved in something that's um, maybe challenging at times? I mean, the apothecary by design is seated firmly in the medical world. And there's a lot of transitions happening right now. Well, you know, change change has two sides of the coin. It can be very positive and it can be very um, disorienting for people. Uh, for us, I think we have the opportunity to take advantage of some things that are happening within healthcare that allow us to focus in on uh, a more customized approach to helping people. And I think that is sort of a wave that, that we will see happening here in the future, um, more personalized medicine, more of a focus on someone's individual needs, um, and really caring for that individual in a very specific and unique way and in a very collaborative way with the other individuals that are helping that particular patient. So we do a lot of that at Apothecary by Design now. We work very collaboratively with the different practitioners that are helping our patients. Um, you know, we are we consider ourselves part of that healthcare team, and I think that's one of the one of the many unique things about what we do. You know, if you think about the pharmacy profession, a lot of these individuals, a lot of these pharmacists, are spending a fair amount of time in school. They're getting a very um, strong degree, and many of them are coming out of of pharmacy school with options that maybe don't meet um, what they envisioned as far as their professional career. And so we really wanted to create a opportunity for people to have a very professional career path within pharmacy. And I think we've worked very closely with a number of the pharmacy schools to make that happen. I've met several of your pharmacists, and I know that you are working to do a lot with education online and through social media. You have a nurse that works with you. It seems like this is something that they're being trained to do. Why do you think that pharmacists and nurses are underutilized in by other pharmacy, other pharmacies or other places in the healthcare system? Well, I think um, some of it has to do, if you think about uh, the way pharmacy works today, 
the the pharmacy industry has largely allowed itself to become a commoditized industry. And so we ran an ad when we first opened our business that said, at what point did pharmacies go from being convenient to convenient stores that had pharmacies? And if you think about that, and you think about what it's like to walk into many of the pharmacies that you might walk into, the pharmacy's tucked away in a little corner in the back, and you walk down an aisle of, you know, sodas and, you know, snacks and maybe alcohol or cigarettes or um, something that probably has nothing to do with your health. And then you make your way back to the pharmacy. And at some point, you may get a chance to talk to the pharmacist, but they're so busy and the criteria for which they're being measured um, is so focused on quantity and output that they don't really get enough time to interact with patients in a way that can impact how someone might take their medications very differently or to talk to them in a more in-depth way about the side effects and how they might manage them um, and to really effectively advocate for that patient as they're kind of moving down their journey of trying to tackle whatever health situation that they're tackling. And you know, these folks have gone to school to try and impact how someone is living their life. And they view themselves, rightly so, um, as having the credentials to be able to do that. And so in our world, we've really tried to create that opportunity. And even if it's happening telephonically, there is a way to do that where you're investing the energy in speaking with the patient, proactively reaching out to the patient. I mean, we do compliance monitoring on our um, specialty patients, you know, depending on what disease state they're in, where we reach out to them on a monthly basis before their refills are due, speaking to them about how they are um, adhering to their medication protocol, what problems they might be having. Um, what side effects they might need some help managing. Prior to that phone call, we have, you know, if it's a transplant patient, we've reached out to the transplant unit and have spoken with them about any dosage changes. And so we're, we're going into this phone call fairly knowledgeable about what needs to happen with this patient. We've built the rapport with that patient from the beginning, um, probably from the time that they were discharged from the hospital because our clinicians go up to the hospital um, at Maine Medical Center, and they're part of the discharge team, counseling the patient about the medications that they're on, helping the family you know, determine what is going to be the right system for them to keep this patient compliant. That's a very different kind of model um, than what you see in a lot of other pharmacies. And so I think it's a model that builds trust, builds a relationship, and um, generates a higher adherence to their medication protocol. It sounds more like you're actually in the empowerment business than you are in the pharmacy business in a way. You're empowering the pharmacist to do their job better and you're empowering patients and their families to comply at a higher level. I think that's true. And and I think because we're very focused on strong communication with the patient and with their practitioner, it's a reinforcing kind of model as well. So you know, if there's something that's not going quite right, quite right with that particular patient, we're on the phone to the practitioner talking to them about what we're seeing and what we're hearing and does it make sense for you to be making a phone call or is there something that we can do to try and get this back on track? 
Do practitioners seem surprised by this level of involvement, or do patients and their families ever seem surprised? I think uh, surprised in a good way. Um, in some cases, yes, I think they're very surprised. And um, I think it's actually, particularly as we've taken what I call sort of this medication therapy management model um, within the specialty pharmacy area and have migrated to doing more aspects of that within retail pharmacy and within our compounding area. You know, it's something that I think practitioners and patients have sort of gotten used to. You know, they've sort of, they don't expect that level of service when they're going to many other places. And so practitioners kind of have to get a little used to someone advocating for their patient. And I think now that we've been in business for four years and they kind of see how that model is working and they know that um, they can trust us and they sort of welcome the phone call. They know that the phone call is going to be a very relevant phone call. And I think that's an important piece. Uh, you have to build the trust in the relationship, not just with the patient, but also with the practitioner. Like me, you are a main girl, a main woman now, but you grew up in Gorham and you, you went to Gorham High School. I think you and I graduated around the same time and I won't out you on how long ago that was, Thank but um, around the same time. And you came back and you're raising your family here. So Maine is somehow important to you. Why is that? Maine just is a very special place. It's, you know, I, I, I probably like you have spent some time living in other parts of the country or traveling around. And I'm always kind of proud to say I'm from Maine and kind of chuckle a little bit when I'm someplace, uh, you know, abroad and they say, where is Maine? And you say, north of Boston. Um, but it is a great place to have grown up. It's a great place um, where you have a lot of people who I think have some common values. And I'm very thrilled to be raising my children here. And, you know, I have a sister who lives in Maryland and uh, works at the Pentagon and is, you know, commuting to and from work each day for an hour and raising three kids in that environment around the Beltway. And, um, you know, I'm really proud of everything she's doing, but it's a it's a lot harder to try and just get your life to work in that setting. And I feel like we have um, been very fortunate to have established ourselves here and to be a part of this community that is so reinforcing to one another, whether it's our school community or, you know, where we live in South Portland or, you know, our community that we're, you know, building down in the Bayside area. You know, this is a community where people want other people to succeed. And people want people to move to Maine because it's a great place to live and it's a great place to work. And I think we're all in general pretty proud of it and what it has to offer. So I, I feel very fortunate to be here. And do you think that that has um, had any impact on why you're doing the type of work with Apothecary by Design that you're doing? Absolutely. Uh, both in terms of how I do my work, um, how our business has grown in some respects. Uh, for example, um, we, we opened our business four years ago, and um, we worked with Bangor Savings Bank to do our financing originally. And I had had some relationships with some of the key people at Bangor Savings Bank prior to opening this business in my former consulting life. And this was a group of people who were willing to bet on a startup, you know, brand new, independent pharmacy 
um, in the face of, you know, all of the Rite Aid's, Walgreens, and CVS's of the world uh, because they believed in our model and they believed in the people who were behind the model. Um, you know, whether it's Bangor Savings Bank or the relationship with our accounting firm or, you know, uh, the relationship with our wholesaler, these are all people that we've known in our prior lives who believe in us and who believe our model can be successful. And that has been very rewarding to see a lot of those relationships kind of come back out of my past and be able to tap into and utilize them into my future. Um, you know, kind of no, hearkening back to the community concept, um, one of the most rewarding things for me is just being out in the community and hearing about, you know, somebody having a good experience at Apothecary by Design. And sometimes I just get to overhear it. You know, we were joking before about the exercise class. And the um, occasionally I'll be at an exercise class and I'll hear some people talking about Apothecary by Design. And I think, that is so neat that they are sharing their experience about this business that we've helped to build. Um, which is really fun for me. And when you get to hear about the success stories of, you know, something really working for a particular patient, whether it's a specialty patient who was suffering from infertility and, you know, finally after going through their treatments has gotten pregnant and has sent us a thank you note or a bouquet of flowers. Uh, Those are really, you know, special moments that we cherish um, at our store. There was a time when the apothecary was a place where you could get safe, reliable medicines, carefully prepared by experienced professionals, coupled with care and attention focused on you and your unique health concerns. Apothecary by Design is built around the forgotten notion that you don't just need your prescriptions filled. You need attention, advice, and individualized care. Visit their website, apothecarybydesign.com, or drop by the store at 84 Marginal Way in Portland and experience pharmacy care the way it was meant to be. Using recycled sails collected from sailors and sailing communities around the world, Sea Bags designs and manufactures bags, totes, and accessories in Maine on Portland's working waterfront. From the best-selling classic Navy Anchor Tote to fresh new designs, Seabags offers retired sails another life by turning them into handmade, one-of-a-kind, nautical-inspired pieces. Visit the Seabags store in Portland or Freeport or go to www.seabags.com to browse their unique collection. It is interesting that you deliberately named the store I'll call it a store, although it's a lot more than just a store, but apothecary. Why the word apothecary? Sure. Um, it, we actually, it, it's funny that you ask that because there were probably a few people who advised us against using the name apothecary uh, because they said, geez, we're not sure people are going to know what that is. And, you know, for us, what we wanted to illustrate, um, both in our name and in how we do things, is that we're sort of a throwback to the old soda fountain pharmacy um, that people do remember as their local apothecary. Uh, But we 
are the modern day version of that with the modern day technologies and the cutting edge knowledge um, around both alternative therapies and pharmaceutical therapies that might be appropriate for people. So the name for us was important because it was distinctive from what you're hearing. We didn't want people to hear pharmacy and the image that flashes into people's mind when they hear pharmacy are those sort of those aisles that I described before that had lots of product that really don't have anything to do with your health. That's what people think of. They think of a big box retail store. They don't think of a place that they go to where they're going to spend time learning about their health, maybe grab a cup of coffee or tea and wander around the store and learn more about supplements that may be appropriate for them. That's part of the reason why we chose Apothecary. We really wanted it to be different. Apothecary also does offer educational programming. Talk to me about some of that. Sure. We have offered, almost since we first opened, um, a wide array of uh, free educational programs that we typically would run on a monthly basis, um, taking the summer off because we do live in Maine. And they really vary in terms of topic. We, you know, as we talked before about collaborating and working with different practitioners, it was kind of an outgrowth of that collaboration where we wanted to um, provide some educational opportunities for our patients, also strengthen our partnership with different practitioners. So we've offered programs on autism, ADHD, um, women's health-related issues, um, infertility, um, just a wide range of topics uh, that have really resonated with people. And, you know, we um, typically our speakers will come in and also do a presentation and, and then provide us with their presentation materials, which we make available then on our website so that they're, they live out there for a longer period of time and people can access that information. We feel like that's an important part of being a part of the community. Um, to provide those educational events. And with our new space, I think we'll have a, a chance to expand those opportunities to some extent. We also do some sponsorship of some different webinars that some of our practitioners are doing on their end so that we can help reach out to a larger audience out there as well. What have you learned personally in this process of founding this amazing organization and store, but during a very significant economic problematic time. Mm -hmm. um, I've learned to be very patient, <laughs> both with myself and with others. Um, and, you know, I guess the most important thing, and, and maybe this is in part age, and maybe it is um, just life, but I've learned to just accept the fact where one door closes, another one tends to open. And whether it's um, an opportunity that, you know, we were really hoping might take some strategic initiative that we were really hoping was going to take hold that for whatever reason might not have panned out. What I have found is that typically something brighter and better comes along. Part of it's fate. Part of it is having your eyes open. Part of it is having enough sort of irons in the fire that that can happen for you. Um, but whatever it may be, it's it's not allowing um, yourself to get too frustrated by the fact that those changes are going to happen and you have to be flexible enough to kind of roll with the punches and be optimistic enough and believe in yourself and believe in your business enough that 
it's all going to work out. I feel a little silly asking this question that that was so profound. Um, but back to nuts and bolts, Apothecary by Design, how do people find out about your store? Well, uh, our website is www.apothecarybydesign.com. That's one way. Um, we always welcome anybody coming in to talk with us and ask questions. And you know, we love to make ourselves available for that. Um, we have a Facebook page that people can follow. We have a Twitter feed. Um, we've got a lot of uh, resources available on our website, um, educational resources, information about our past events, um, future speakers that might be coming up at the store. So it's a great you know, wealth of information and also information about particular disease states that um, some people might be impacted on. So, Well, we've been speaking with Catherine Cloudman, who is the founder, co-founder of Apothecary by Design here in Portland. And we thank you for not only coming in and speaking with us today about this very important future of medicine topic, but also being a resource for the community and for our listeners and for sponsoring our show, because without people like you and people who are forward thinking, we wouldn't be able to have this be possible. Well, thank you very much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. You've been listening to the Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast, show number 56, The Future of Medicine. Our guests today have included Executive Vice President of the Maine Medical Association, Gordon Smith, and co-founder of Apothecary by Design, Catherine Cloudman. As you might imagine, our conversations with guests often go far beyond what we can actually put on air, and we encourage all of our listeners to go to our website, doctorlisa.org, and listen to the extended interviews, because there's a lot more wisdom to be found there. Also, please take advantage of our podcasts available through iTunes, all of our past shows are available for download for free. Be sure to like our Facebook page and send us a little note and let us know how you think that we're doing through our website. This is Dr. Lisa Belial. Thank you for being part of our world. May you have a bountiful life. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is made possible with the support of the following generous sponsors. Maine Magazine, Mike LePage and Beth Franklin at Remax Heritage, Robin Hodgkin at Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, Seabags, Dr. John Herzog of Orthopedic Specialists, Marcy Booth of Booth Financial Services, UNE, the University of New England, Tom Shepard of Shepard Financial, Apothecary by Design, and The Body Architect. The Dr. Lisa Radio Hour and Podcast is recorded in downtown Portland at the offices of Maine Magazine on 75 Market Street. It is produced by Kevin Thomas and Dr. Lisa Belial. Audio production and original music by John C. McCain. For more information on our hosts, production team, Maine Magazine, or any of the guests featured here today, visit us at doctorlisa.org. Download and become a podcast subscriber of Dr. Lisa Belisle through iTunes. See the Dr. Lisa website or Facebook page for details.